spending your Monday morning with me right now on a walk, on your way to the gym, pushing the pram, whatever. Hello, it is lovely to have you here this fine Monday morning. All right, so getting stuck into this episode, my guest that I'm about to talk to is amazing, but I'll talk about her in a second. I want to share with you guys my lesson for the week. My lesson for the week is show up for yourself and start your day with intention. So when my reason for having this lesson this past week is because last Sunday, um, so a week ago on the Sunday night, I was feeling completely flat, just mentally, physically, was unhappy um, and a lot of different contributing things happened to feel that way. But as a collective, I knew that I had to make some fast changes. It had been a couple of weeks of poor diet, reintroducing alcohol, you know, more than three to four nights a week sort of thing. I was sort of having a couple of glasses of wine most nights because the kids sleeps hectic and using all of these things in my life and my environment as a reason not to exercise, eat nutrient-dense foods and not have alcohol. So it just wasn't good enough and I want to show up for me and I want to live my life with intention and I want to reach all of my goals and I know in order to do that, I need to wake up every day and show up for myself and stop putting everyone else's needs before my own as well. So that was a big part of that. So if you can start your Monday morning with one takeaway from this episode, it is show up for yourself and show up every freaking day this week with intention. Let's get stuck into today's episode. Today's guest is the beautiful Nadine Muller. Nadine is an inspirational wearer of many, many hats. She's a sponsored athlete, influencer, model, speaker, personal trainer, health and fitness professional, military officer and registered nurse. Alongside her various career highlights, she's also a dedicated mum to her two sons and wife to Dane. In this episode, we talk about Nadine's career highlights, including her health and fitness journey. We chat about Nadine Dean's experiences in the season of motherhood, such as becoming a military mum. And she vulnerably shares her story through surviving HG to experiencing a traumatic birth and bringing her son into the world prematurely. This is a big episode with a lot in here that is raw and real. And I absolutely loved chatting with Nadine. Trigger warning in this episode, Nadine shares her experience with birth trauma. If you are someone who has experienced birth trauma or any trauma, please know this episode may trigger you. I've listed a range of resources for you to connect with if you do choose to listen to this episode and it triggers past experiences in the show notes. All right, let's get into today's episode with Nadine. Nadine, thank you so much for putting aside some time and energy for me today. I am absolutely thrilled to have you on the podcast. Thank you so very much for having me and likewise for reserving space and being so flexible. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. If anyone's going to resonate with mum life and duties and responsibilities, it is me. So obviously I want to dive into your motherhood journey with you. But before we do that, can you give us a little bit of a snapshot of you and your life? Yeah, so honestly, I've had a colourful life. I will say that it's been a little bit different um, in essence, but Honestly, I come from a very military uh, household family. So when I then decided at 17, I was also going to join the military, it came to no surprise to my loved ones. So I guess today and and certainly in this day and age, uh, the organisation that is so military or so male oriented uh, to be to be sharing that online over the last however many years has been a big thing for me and as a a female, I suppose. So that's been exciting. However, so yeah, my military career has been spanning over the last 13 years. Um, And again, it's from a very, uh, I will say, very shaped career because of my military family history and background. Um, So that's a little bit about me and the sort of professional sphere and where perhaps that came from because a lot of people will say to me, God, Nadine, like, where did that even, how did you, if they didn't know me beforehand or they don't know my family, you know, what made you join the military? What made I you do will that? Say, like watching your journey in the military over the however many years that I've followed you online, it, you've always made it look really attractive and like, oh, yeah. I want to do that too. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I don't say yes in the sense of I was trying to make it attractive. It's not always attractive, no. but there are I truly believe there are experiences and exposures within our military and with our armed forces which you cannot get elsewhere Mm -hmm. um and and I did all I could in the last 13 years to share the good and the bad sides of it and and we'll no doubt touch that onto that a little bit later because it ended up being sort of a pivot of my life where I moved away from that um 
But yeah, going back to your initial question, military has been a big part of my life. Fitness has been a big part of my life. Health and fitness has been huge for me. Um, more notably, perhaps once I entered into the motherhood phase, because health and fitness has kind of been forever ingrained in me when I was born, essentially. Uh, and then, yeah, motherhood, probably the hat that I love wearing the most, much like all of us. But again, we're all wearing multiple hats and sometimes three on your head at any one time, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you touched on your health and fitness journey. And I know that when I first started following along with you, that you were such a high energy and just filled with this motivation and discipline and commitment to health and, you know, in your training that I always really admired it. And I'd love to know, I suppose, where, where did that all first show up for you? Yeah, to be honest, again, there was something born in me with health and fitness. I've, I've grown up in a very active family, wow. camping, school sports, et cetera, individual sports, team sports. So I did, it was definitely something that I've lived with, I suppose, as, as a forefronter in the background, as a constant. Um, but what I mentioned before was, again, military shape that as well. Health and fitness is part of what you do there. It's part of your everyday, um, you know, work day. And then likewise, you have the individuals like myself who then do it in your spare time as well, either before work or after work, what have you. But more notably, it was seeing the incredible transformation that a female human body can endure, can go through, can can transform into. And, and to be honest, I've, you know, health and fitness has been a big part of my life forever. However, it was the period after or post motherhood that I got to my peak level of fitness that, you know, that I was able to achieve in a, a fitness space, whether it be, you know, strength goals or aesthetic goals, whatever the hell it is. Um, and I was able to do that at a time of a life when we say um, perhaps, you know, it's not meant to happen then. Once you become a mum, all these things change. No, I was at the peak of my fitness post becoming a mother. And I, that was the message I wanted to continue to share. Yeah, I love that. And that's actually super interesting because I had a similar experience after my first son, Jesse. Um, I definitely aesthetically got to the leanest and most physically fit that, to look at um, mm. my entire life after having a baby, not before. So I find that really interesting that you had a similar experience as well, because we're so, we, I feel like we're, it's almost ingrained to us to have like this limiting belief that, well, after you have a baby, you're never going to get your body back. Well, it's a new body. You get to kind of yeah. start fresh. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we, we fail to realize that subconsciously our children become this new sort of motivating factor where we're like, right. And, and it, we take on this new sense of like, cool, well, I need to do all of these things in my motherhood role. And if I don't start looking after me, whether it's through health and fitness or wellness, however you want to sort of place that, you know, it propels us to you know, dedicate ourselves to routines or to to a week that we incorporate that into our lives. So I think that's where motherhood can set you aside or set you up for actually taking those um, health and fitness goals or aspirations that you want and using it to your advantage. Absolutely. Yes, totally agree. It's that space for me in the day that I get to myself. And like lately, it's been 12, 14 minute sessions and I just go yeah. absolutely smash myself for that time. Yeah. But it's enough time for me to switch off. I yeah. don't need it to be two hours in a gym to fit no. be me time. I just need a couple of minutes to myself every day. And I'm like, okay, mental attitude's strong again. I'm good to yes, go. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. And I know that you also sort of um, done a little bit of work with modeling and things like that, that does touch you know come off the cuff of your fitness um, lifestyle yeah. when did it go from hey I love fitness this is a part of my career this is you know been ingrained since a little girl I love sports when did it go from being just a love for health and fitness to then hey I'm going to make an income from this and it's going to yeah. be a bit of a bonus on top of my military career yeah I think exactly that so I started sharing very organically online so I'd be at bases or wherever around Australia, internationally, wherever, and health and fitness came with me wherever I went. I'd just change and adapt it um, to suit where I was with minimal equipment or a lot of equipment, whatever, and I'd share that online. Um, and then slowly people started going, oh, you're interested in that journey or seeing you not um, go, you know what, I don't have access to gym, I can't do that, and was able to, I guess, watch on of an everyday person that worked, that was a mum, being able to just make it work, whether it's 14 minutes or an hour or, you know, spaced out between a period of a day where you've done a few five-minute bouts of exercise and then it all amounts up to 30 minutes, whatever. And so 
to be honest, it organically sort of happened because this fire in the belly and almost um, just this like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling really compelled to move into this line of work as a hobby, I will say, um, initially, because I was just everywhere with defence. I couldn't, I was never in any one given moment. So I knew that the only way for me to do this was to do it online. And I knew that that, that fire in the in the belly kind of passion was there and that's when I just went right all in I'm going to of, of course on the back end of that there was um you know course after course I'd gone in and got all my qualifications etc the years prior but it really amplified that so and then I just ran with the wind with it <laughs> the next minute I'm working full-time in the military still as a nurse I'm trying to uphold this stuff at home with with kids or with my then I just had the one and and then have my clients. It was very, it was very boutique style. So I should say it was one-on-one. It was no cookie cut programs. Um, you know, again, I would be away with work and have, I only ever maxed myself to 20 clients, but that was enough. I remember going, wow, I've really, this infamous term of balance, I haven't, I am not doing that. I am not in any type of homeostasis balance right now. Um, but there was a lot of passion in that, in that line of work and it just flowed because I wanted to, yeah. That's incredible. I wish, um, oh, sorry. I remember a time and I remember my apartment where I was when you put up a video, I think you're away somewhere, you're in your army or military outfit, I should say, sorry. And um, yeah, you're doing a workout. I remember doing push-ups and sit-ups in this tiny little room in, on the carpet and you're like, you just got to make room. You got to, you know, get in and get it done and just make it work. And I was so motivated. I was like, yes, yes, I can. I'm going to get up and do this in my room. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think, think it's, it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, whether we like it or not, we have a body and wherever that body is, it can do incredible things. It, you don't have to have all the fancy equipment. I'm, I'm all about do what you can where you are with what you have and you'll always make it work. So, yeah, I've been able to maintain a level of health and fitness and sometimes at a peak of my health and fitness all over the place. Yeah. So you've obviously had many incredible walks of life in your one life, a career in the military, model, digital creator, to name just a few. And I know that obviously your most important hat is being a mum. But outside of that, out of all the hats that you've worn, what do you think is the one that truly aligns with you and why? Yeah. You know, they say find a niche and just stay down there. But I, my niche is doing all of that. So <laughs> to be honest, I think um, truly that it's, where I'm at now and that's because it's a collision of all of those things Mm. does that make sense so so yes I've let go of the full-time military hat and I'm now a reservist with them but it it doesn't mean I've let that go that's still a part of my life that I'm able to to have and contribute and, and take part in but now it's on my own terms so you know I still have my military hat but I can let that go at any given moment if you know what I mean then I've got my you know modeling work I'm now um with an agent and so that means I can then you know pivot and change and go yeah I'm, there's an opportunity that's come my way I can take that on digital creating now and this is all happening around that beautiful moment of where I've put my family at the forefront and these other things are it's a hurricane and it and it works it's a collision of all of these passions and um and things that fuel me and fill my own cup and I'm able to do that with raising my family at the same time at the moment. Yes. Oh my goodness. I love that so much because sometimes I feel like, you know, in today's society and especially in a social media sort of game, we almost are encouraged to just find one thing and stay in that. Don't, don't pivot, don't change, just stay with what you know, stay with your niche, as you've said. And I think it's important to encourage other people to just dive into everything that fuels or fuels you or lights you up. Just go with the things that bring you joy. And if that's one thing great if it's five things great if it's 23 even better just do your thing that's right I think gone are the days where you have to stay in one career or one path if it if you get to a crossroad you no longer want to do that change Uh, I I think it was five or six and that was years ago that it was at any given time for a woman or even a man then that you're you know you could go from lawyer to nurse to to stay-at-home mum to whatever in, in a lifetime. So we're really getting to this pointy end of the stick nowadays where that one train thought for your whole life, I'm going to be a nurse or I'm going to be a lawyer, whatever it is, that's out the window now. Do whatever it is that you want. And if you can do them, you know, simultaneously or at the same time, awesome. Um, but I've also, and I'm sure we'll touch on this a little bit later on, there's also, I'm a firm believer of you can do it all but sometimes you can't do all it or all of it and everything all at once either. So, you know, I talk about pedestals a lot where sometimes something, so out of all of my 
things that I do. <laughs> you know, at any given moment in, in a week, something will take precedence, then it comes back. Something else will come up up to the top of the pedestal and then return. But across the board the whole time, it's it's my family that comes first. And, and that's that time that I that is my forefront every time. Yes, and going into that a little bit more, I know that you and your husband have gone through a lot of life big changes recently. Um, and just watching on, I've, you know, really felt quite inspired to simplify my own life. And I guess, you know, going quality over quantity in every aspect, whether that be finances, health goals, all aspects of my personal life. Can you share what was the motivation behind this life shift for you and your husband? And then secondly, what are some of the immediate changes that you both came up with and were like, that's got to go? Yeah. Look, I think talking about collisions, we had a life collision and it was simultaneously so many things happened all at once. So I had a far from linear pregnancy with my second child more recently. He's almost two, he's 18, no, 20 months now. And that was, I suppose, the start of it. That pregnancy was kind of the start of things just bubbling. Um, moving forward, we then had a far from linear birth uh, and that was coupled with the fact that he was also preemie. So straight away, those things are very life-altering in in essence, like just those three things alone. But then concurrently, we had some big family-related issues where um, we're fortunate between Dane and myself, my hubby and my, uh, myself, we've got three dads, but they're all at a latter stage of their life and or battling some big things. Um, and so at any given moment, I was palliatively looking after one of my dads. My other dad um, is, or my, my actual father, has got very extensive dementia. So even containing him, we manage him from home. And then Dane's, my hubby's dad, has um, got terminal cancer. So between the three of them and when we talk about priorities and pedestals in any given week it would literally be like okay that person's really important right now because they've landed back in hospital they're in ICU or we're in the palliative care unit whatever um, and we realize that through all of this our lives outside of the things that go on personally our professional lives allowed it or or didn't allow us to take on the needs that our families needed us so for example you can imagine me trying to support my elderly family through these times when my career in the military saw me away from my family when a career in the military particularly during a pandemic meant that I'd be away for long periods of time how was I going to uphold all of these duties of myself personally if professionally, and I'll talk about my husband in a second, it just wasn't in alignment anymore. Now again I'll sort of preface this both like I loved what I did but it no longer put my priorities at the forefront and all of these life limiting or not life limiting but all of these uh, collisions that happen at once good bad and indifferent and we'll talk about silver linings later but all of those things allowed us to like totally go whoa what is happening here we're either going to go down a vortex of just trying to do it all and actually lose ourselves in the process and we're going to have to start making some big changes and changes that came about uh, because they had to and there was no other option, but also change because we knew we had to start creating that change for ourselves. So, yeah, my husband was a builder for the last 15 years and I was an emergency nurse with the military and over my military career was 13 years. So we both went, does that no longer? Like, so, for example, my husband literally resigned from his building company the day we gave birth to our second son. He just went, wow. that's it, like it's all over. So, again, in context, um, sort of, touching over the the um I guess the the ends of it our birth our our pregnancy so prior to that and postpartum with a prem baby mm. then intertwined with all of these family related issues and you can imagine it doesn't just it's not just them it's the extended family there was a lot of there was a lot of mental health decline with a lot of people struggling with some with with that in the middle of of COVID obviously happening too so it just became this, this collision of all of these things going wrong and that allowed us to pivot. So, yeah, Dane quit his job. I put in my resignation uh, for defence. And we then, going back to tips and tricks for anyone that wants to simplify, we then looked at everything in our life at close range. For example, um, we went, what, what, what is this? What is, why is that serving us or not serving us? For example, liabilities or assets all of these things that we all harbour or we hold on to because we think that that status quo or we're meant to own a home or have an investment property or have seen to have two cars, three cars, whatever it is, we started going, all of that stuff is not important. 
all of that stuff actually doesn't fuel us anymore. What do we want to do here? So again, we looked at all of our finances. We looked at our um, our lives and how we wish to live that finance-wise. We went, do we need two cars? We're both no longer working. We're both work or working for others. We're now working for ourselves. Um, we we literally sold Dane's work unit. He was like, I'm no longer a builder. What? Why do we have a second car? We don't need that. That's just one example of many. Let's start looking at our our expenses. What's that $9.99 now? It all adds up. We know this. What's that $9.99 subscription for? For what? When we start looking at everything at close range, we realise how little we actually need and all of the things that we're just adding on. We sold an investment property as well. We just went, that's actually a dead end thing. It's actually not serving us or doing anything. Why do we need to be, is it seen or that internal desire of you have an investment property no let's allow some breathing room so we literally got rid of things that no longer served us invested money elsewhere started some shares actually for our boys <laughs> so then now yeah just saw all of these little things that we started putting in place and started living really consciously about our spendings um we we literally just simplified our lives in ways where what mattered and what was important stayed and everything else we would then put into a matter of priority. Does that need to stay? Does that need to go? Um, again, we, you know, how often do you just go, yep, renew that insurance, renew this, um, you know, another like pet insurance or a life insurance or all of these things. When you actually take a day, you could save hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars just by literally researching and looking around in just insurances alone. Like that was one huge thing for us. Gym memberships was another one. Um, you know, there is just so when we, and the reason how or why we did it in the first place, we literally printed off all of our um, bank statements and just went, it lit up like a Christmas tree. You start highlighting things and you just go, oh, God, what am I doing? What What is that? What is that? Yeah. Uh, Uber Eats is probably another one. We started deleting Uber Eats. We started delete, you know, anywho. So it was just getting really, and it's not about being frugal. It's actually just being really conscious with how you spend. We live a, to us, and a, a beautiful life because to one person to the next, what is living large to you might look totally different different to the next person. Um, we, we do not live beyond our means and that is living lavishly to us because it's opened up a whole new world to us where things that are, important to there and they're at the forefront and activities that we engage in things that we do with the kids you don't have to spend hundreds and thousands of dollars or um, have tickets to the to the best places the kids just want us and our time our present time and sometimes it's just out on the back with mud and you know like that's, that's what it comes down to so honestly we 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 changed a lot. We pivoted a lot um, in order to put our family at the forefront and not just our extended family but our immediate family too and I know the boys are quite young still, but is there any awareness around this for them? Are they starting to, has there been a discussion or anything like that? Because I think it's really cool if, you know, across the board as mum for people that might be making these changes in their homes and in their families for, to be talking to their kids about it too. And Yeah, absolutely. Madden, he knows. So when we look at career change, and it's so beautiful when he was doing show and tell recently at prep school that he was talking about how mummy left the air force because she was always away from me. So she, now she doesn't go on plane. It's just beautiful how they're able to sort of come up with their own story of, and, and it is, it, it is like the story is what it is, but, and, and his version of what it meant for mummy to leave her job. So she no longer was away from me. And that's a beautiful or remarkable thing. And that's what we're ingraining in our children. That's important that, what we do and who we are and what we do for a living is still important, but that they were made a complete priority in that and that you can still work around that and be home with them. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. And just on um, the whole Uber Eats thing, if my husband hears this conversation, he's going to be like, yeah, no, we definitely need to cut back on the old Uber Eats. It's just, he, he said the other day, it's just so cool. You can just click, 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 click. And there's a little brown bag at your door with everything that you want. And I'm like, no, but we've got to stop, doll. I know, I know. You know, even with, with Uber, we've, once you sort of start getting really conscious about your spending, it's funny. I remember Uber Eats, it was like for a thing of sushi for Madden, because our eldest loves sushi, it was going to cost $15 or something, or we can literally drive two kilometers down the road, get that sushi and it's six bucks. 
And we're like, if we did that, once you start getting into it, you just like obsessed with, mm. with, with getting the best deal or getting it for a fraction of the price. And so then I remember just going, that literally took me a minute to drive and get it. It was already ready. And then I came back and then I had it and it was quicker than actually oh, going yeah. through the Uber Eats app. app. I'm like, how is that? For, we're, we're just paying for convenience. Yes. And sometimes it's an adventure to actually do the opposite. And so that's what we're doing and we love it. We love it. No, I totally agree. I think we definitely need to make some bigger changes than what we've made. Obviously, I haven't changed that much in my house if that's still something that's happening on the reg. But, yeah. Uber Eats is scary. Like, literally, don't highlight that and count. Well, do. Do highlight it. Do highlight it. And then, yeah, yeah. I think everyone listening needs to print off their bank statement and highlight Uber Eats and see how many times last month you had Uber Eats. Yeah, I mean, I could go on and on. I don't want to keep on, like, harboring on about it, but it's even down to, like, banks and and fees and um you know going to a to a atm and being charged two dollars fifty or fees to transfer or account keeping fees there are so many things you if you added up five dollars a month over 12 months over your entire life life you know that's a lot of money it really is two people you know then your children's bank accounts Mm. it's crazy once you start oh it's uh it's addictive for sure and then you know i'll go to the shops to buy i've got um two school-age stepdaughters as well so i'll go to the shops to buy their new clothes for whatever season it is winter's coming you know it's getting colder and i went to the shops the other day and i got to the checkout and i was like three hundred dollars three hundred dollars for like four t-shirts no i'm not spending this on a ten and a nine-year-old no way and then i was like crazy like they need this like I'm not spending I'm saying no to this but yet I'll say yes to the $199 app fee that they want on their iPads 20 times a month you know you've got to just again go back to that pedestal and prioritize what's important in terms of you know your family life and the dynamics absolutely absolutely and then it's one thing to sort of change in certain areas but then you go hang on a second there's also living Mm -hmm. and so if at any one given moment during the month you assign that you then spend that $200 on something that your little one has worked towards. And I think that's what I've always wanted to instill in them too. You know, Madden has a reward chart. So if there's something coming up that we can work towards, awesome. And then we can, we can, we can pay that. We can, we can take it out of whatever that is and, and show them that you don't just get things like this. And I think they're, they're important life lessons that even at five and nine and 10, they need to see that in essence. And how can they see that if we're not showing that and living that own life ourselves, right? Mm, we talking, have, sorry. 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 No, you <laughs> uh, talking about, I think you mentioned something before, even, you know, $2, $5 donations. That's another one. So I love donating. I love gifting to charities, but it's really easy to then have 10 on the go. And then suddenly your $10 is going to UNICEF. Your other $10 is going to leukemia. Your other $10 is going to, again, you can still give and just rotate that. So I was I was talking about this on my social media as well, that cool, put something on the pedestal and that is your focus for the next three months. Change that. You've got a wheel of donations or people that you love to support. Move the next thing up to the, the pedestal and that can be your $10 donation. Do you know what I mean? We don't have to do all these things. Um, to show support you can you can say no and we've got to always whilst serving others and whilst you know giving to others and donating we've also got to think of ourselves first and then go how can we make this work gosh that's such such a good idea I I hope that anyone listening is that's just one takeaway that they get from this conversation I'm sure sure everyone listening is getting heaps but I think that is just something that could make such a you know positive change in your your life as well as someone else's and I definitely want to introduce that I'm going to write that down when we hang up this call because I think that our family could definitely help in more ways and if that's I feel like we all get so overwhelmed with the to-dos in life and and even in that just general sense of donations and and wanting to help everyone that's like okay it's all too hard I just won't do it then and and we just need to work out the best manageable way to proactively be doing that constantly um so just digressing a little bit into your biggest challenge and what I'm confident that you would call your biggest achievement the season or chapter of your life entering motherhood I know that you had some really difficult experiences with pregnancy and if I'm really honest you were the first person that I had ever heard the term hg from can you share a little bit on this yeah sure so I'll say the name in, in its totality so that, and then we'll call it HG from here on in, but it's called hyperemesis gravidarum. And that term, hyperemesis means 
basically excessive vomiting and gravidarin means during pregnancy. So if you were to say to a pregnant woman that's experiencing HG and it is a medical condition, oh, so it's a bit of morning sickness, they will literally, well, they'll probably vomit all over you, one, um, but two, it it's a kick in the gut. So HG, again, a medical condition that affects a woman usually during her entire pregnancy, severity-wise, it's usually during their whole pregnancy. And if I could explain it to anyone um, in the simplest of terms, it's having gastro vomiting-wise your whole pregnancy. And we know that after two days of gastro, a week of gastro, the lethargy, the fatigue, the even the mental health decline in a couple of days of gastro, you know, on the back end of gastro, you're like, thank God, how good's life? How good's water? How good's food? How, you know, you get back to the basics of everything's bloody roses again. How good's life? Picture you're pregnant and you're grateful as all hell. For a lot of women, you know, it's a wanted pregnancy. And then suddenly it is, you're knocked down into a million pieces of just being severely ill. And now I'm, I'm talking physically Ill, Ill to the point of exhaustion, severe dehydration. We know if you don't drink after three days, if water is not in your, in your system, you will die. This can be, if not looked after correctly or not managed correctly by you know health providers or medical providers, that women, and if we were to look even back to the history of pregnancy, people died. Could we now say that it was hyperemesis gravidarum? Wow. Hundreds and hundreds of years ago in pregnancy, where women just died of dehydration? Perhaps. I absolutely think so. There's heaps of coming out into HG, but I won't go down that vortex for now. But essentially, it affects 2% of pregnancies, which I believe is actually in- inaccurate, purely because of like misdiagnoses. People will just say, hey, look, um, you, you, you've got morning sickness. However, it's coming into light. HG, more people are talking about it. Is it? Kate Middleton, who had HG, is it, you know, big profile names that are actually talking about it and we're classifying it. And now more than ever, medical providers are going, yeah, no, 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 that ain't morning sickness. This is hyperemesis gravidarum. So watch this space. The 2% will change. Um, But you can imagine physically, mentally, financially, uh, I got to a point where, oh, so within the first three weeks of my pregnancy, a wanted pregnancy, a, a pregnancy where I, you know, we were growing our family, straight off the cuff, wasn't able to work for five months straight. I was in bed constantly. If I managed to get out of bed and make it to the shower or the bathroom, it'd be to relieve myself and come back. This is someone, health and fitness, huge part of my life. The fittest times of my life, pregnancy, not so much. I started to lose the ability to walking around my house wasn't that was a big feat. You know, I, there wasn't enough water, food, et cetera, in my body that just getting to the other end of my house. So when we look at it from a point of view of mothering other children, being a wife, um, friendships, social networks, it's more than just the, the physical aspect of being unwell. It, it trickles into every, every facet of your life from, from there on in. My hubby, we took a bit of a financial hit, I suppose, because then my hubby was taking up, looking after me. So he took a number of months off work as well. Anywho, again, HG is coming into its own light, which is amazing. And there's so many now protocols for, for women, but it got me to some of the deepest and the darkest times of my life because everything that was life-limiting, it basically was. And it was really hard to share that on on socials because I have a lot of, you know, and friends as well who can't even fall pregnant in the first instance. So, you know, you're there going, I am grateful, I am grateful, but you can't help but but wish that you had a different journey, okay? So, and I I often talk about how, for me, because I had HG, uh, I'm going to say a... Uh, I, I did have HG in my first pregnancy, but my second pregnancy was riddled with it. I, I was still able to work a day or two with my first pregnancy. My second pregnancy was, I was down and out. I was a shell and I was just existing. And I talk about that all the time. Um, and it's okay. And that's what I started sharing on my socials, that it's okay to not enjoy pregnancy, to, to say, you know what, this is shit. It doesn't mean you're not grateful. You can be like, this is everything that I wanted. This is everything I planned. And you can still do that and have the crappest time. Like I talk about it being the the shittest, like the happiest reason to feel the shittest you've ever felt. That That's probably a really good way of explaining it. Um, you're happy. You want to do these things, but it takes away at every layer of you, like an onion, like quite literally. Um, and a few weeks in, you it, it makes for a really long pregnancy. By the time I was um, seven weeks pregnant, I was hospitalized every second so what ended up happening, fortunately, I had an incredible obstetrician who 
oh, he just went, okay, Nadine, what we're going to do, instead of you coming into emergency and then, you know, putting you up to the ward, we're just going to admit you every third night. So that's what he would do. So every third night I would just go into hospital, stay overnight, get my fluids, get my food, um, as in like through the drip, um, get all of the cyclic medication that helps with vomiting. And that would see me okay until I next went into hospital. I did that every third night for my pregnancy. So again, <laughs> you know, I wasn't, I wasn't one of those. And I have got girlfriends, some of my best friends that literally are like wearing flower crowns, pregnant, glowing, amazing, training, working. If anything, they feel a million bucks pregnant. Think of the complete opposite to that. And that was me and me and so many others. There are so many other people that feel the same. And again, as I was, as I was sharing it on my socials, I just, I wanted others to feel okay to share that it's okay to say that you don't enjoy it. I use this term often. I don't enjoy pregnancy. I endure pregnancy. Um, it's not the best time of my life, but I get through it. I know that it doesn't last forever. I know that I have to be on very close guidance and medical care when I am pregnant. Um, and, and that's okay. And, and you would go through these things a million times over to have, you know, I've got two little boys, a five-year-old and a nearly two-year-old now. And you do it all over again. Yeah. So what was the motivation behind having a second child? Because for me, after I, I didn't enjoy pregnancy. It was nowhere near anything that you went through, by the way. I just physically didn't enjoy my body changing and not being able to do the things I like to do. So mine was a little less um, intrusive, I suppose. But I know that I chose to have my second daughter Lola um, because I wanted Jesse to have a friend that was the only reason the only motivation I just didn't want him to grow up alone what yeah. was that sort of the motivation because you did you know that you would have a rough pregnancy well so as I said I did have um, a really sort of lower end of the scale yeah. HD with my first and it's not again there's lots of research and um, stuff coming out with HG Primarily, it says that you have, if you're someone with HG, it's likely that you'll sort of get it again. And for a lot of people, I'm on a Facebook group and some support groups with it. For a lot of people, they'll get up to like their third, fourth, fifth, and it just gets worse. <laughs> like as it goes, it just gets worse. Anywho, um, so I did know it was coming. However, I did not know of the veracity and the sheer, like how bad it could truly get um, until I was there, until I was there. And so to put it to you, our plan isn't to have a third child because it has both myself and my husband completely traumatised from our from our events. But um, if we were to, we know that we literally have to plan that. We would literally have to go, okay, um, if we're going to do this, we need people on board, we need this type of medical provider, we need this type of um, medication regime, we need to... Uh, you know, factor in that every third or second or fourth night, whatever it is, I'd be in hospital, I'd be away. Dame would be holding the fort with the two boys here. It, it's a community effort, quite literally, with my family. Um, and as you could say, as you could say, with our issues going on with our extended family, we don't have much support. Um, we do, but they're they're trying to support people dying. There's no other way for it. So, you know, my my mum, for example, she's my dad's full time carer. My husband's mum is looking after uh, my father-in-law who's terminally ill. So it's like, there's a lot going on. <laughs> there's a lot going on. And for us to do this, if we were to go down that track, we've thought about it, we've talked about it, not ready. But if we if we were, we'd have to plan it to the nth degree. Mm -hmm. We would literally have to simplify our lives probably even more, um, which, and, and, you know, perhaps we've already done a lot of that work, work already and we'd figure it out, but uh, we'd definitely have to plan that. I feel like the dog was easier. Yes, 100%. So that was me being like, I think we should get a third child. And Dane was like, dog? Yeah, Wait, let's do it. Yeah. That's so good. My mom actually is someone that has always told me that the universe will, you know, delve out the cards, the hard cards to the people that can handle it best. And in the form of giving the hardship to a woman who shows grace and strength in what seems like the most horrendous times of your entire life. Whilst you exited your last HD experience, you were dealt a really, really hard card and you went through quite a traumatic birthing experience and then had your baby boy who was Premie. Can you share a little bit about this time? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, this goes on the back end of a really tough pregnancy and I thought, surely we're going to have an incredible birth. <laughs> was I wrong? So 33 weeks I had what's called PPROM, which is a premature rupture of your membranes, essentially. So I went into labor early. I didn't go into um, 
spontaneous labour, but my waters had broken. Um, this came at a time where you would say, because people are like, well, you're stressed. What was going on at the time? Nothing really, apart from I had reintroduced back to work and I, I was working a day at home and a day out at the military base. So I wouldn't say that anything aside from, you know, regular day-to-day stresses, there wasn't anything anything that was too stressful. I literally woke up in a pool of my own um, fluid. So obviously the next day into into hospital, into our um, hospital, and my obstetrician was just like, wow, Nadine, have we had the full gamut? We managed to, which was awesome, thanks to, you know, our our medical providers today. We were able to hold off on labour starting and it actually took three attempts. So three times my body tried to, and, and this is a story I'll try to explain in the most succinct way possible, but um, three times my the hospital and my obstetrician tried to stop my labour. And so you can stop it with medication and then try to hold on for a little while longer. We just knew 33 weeks is a great place to get to as a, as a prem baby. The, the likelihood of survival and all the things after that is amazing. 33 is great. However, if we could, let's try to, let's try to prolong this. Um, three times my body was like, no. And this is where I start to go. Our bodies are designed for this. They know what to do, right? Mm. And so my obstetrician was like, for some reason, this is just not working on you and your body just wants this baby out. I didn't think about it at the time. At the time, I was like, why is my body failing me? Why, even when with the help, it's, you know, in my eyes, I'd gone through a tough time. I've, I've gone through all of this stuff now. Just stay in there. You need to just stay in there to grow a little bit more. Little did I know, and I'll touch on it in a bit as I as I venture along this journey and story. Um, little did I know that the safest place for my baby wasn't actually in me. It, he needed to be outside, but we were doing all that we could to keep him there. And I'll, and I'll tell you that why in a moment. Anywho, so then my body was like, no, nah, we can't do this. We're going to go into labour. Uh, we laboured in the hospital for a while, et cetera, et cetera. And things weren't, not that it was progressing. And we always knew he was footling grief. So it was, he was the wrong way around anyway. So my obstetrician was really not keen on me having a um, vaginal labour at this point. But we were just seeing if things were going to progress any further. I didn't have any... Uh, VEs, as in vaginal examinations or anything. And I had gone through this very um, uh, transformative phase of, of wanting to, I suppose, um, have a, 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 a natural birth. However, I had done all this work with a coach in regards to um, hypnobirthing. And so I was actually in labour and managing it really well, not realising that I'd progressed actually a fair bit and I was just going through the paces of, of what I was learning and, and over the last three months what I was um, engaging with and a, a beautiful woman called Shari who was my um, hypnobirthing coach. Anyhow, my obstetrician was like, I think it's time to take you into, um, things went a little bit pear-shaped and he's like, let's take you into theatre, it, it's time, no worries. So I'm wheeling into theatre. Now cut a long story short and I'm going to fast forward this a wee bit but I went into a position um, that is a position that you'd put a woman in an emergency if she has a um, a prolapse cord and I went into that just innately I suppose it was just it felt right and it was on all fours essentially your bums up in the air that's that's what you would do if a cord ever prolapses um, anywhere anywho and that's just to keep make sure that the cord is pulsating and you're not pressing up against it because we know with with a cord if that is at all pressed or knotted or whatever, that that's going to turn pear-shaped or potentially could. Anyway, so I was doing that and we're, we're wheeling myself into, into theatre um, and everyone was like, why is she in a... And, in fact, while we would... I remember this so vividly. While we were thingling me into theatre, rolling me into theatre, a, a nurse or a midwife walking past was like, oh, um, prolapse cord? And they're like, no, 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 we're just going in for an emergency C-section. Okay, no worries. Fast forward, prolapse cord. Stop. Um, fast forward. So then, um, so I am labouring. So we're going into theatre. I'm just thinking, oh, this is this is fairly tough. Um, but again, in my in my very cool, calm, collected, I've just been learning these techniques for the last six. I, I was loving it because years ago, my me and labour was like, Right. And I didn't know, nor did they know, nor did my hubby was just like, awesome. You know, you're just going through, going through the paces here. I get into theatre. Um, they're about to do this spinal. And I said to my midwife, I'm about to push. <laughs> and they're like, well, obviously wasn't laughing about it, but I was like, I'm about to push this baby out. And they're like, what? Like, 
no, you're about to get the spinal, et cetera, et cetera. They rolled me over, cord prolapse. There's a foot out as well. It, it gets a bit, it's a bit crazy. Um, and then unfortunately the cord had a knot in it and a really tight knot. So when we're talking about where I said before in context to the safest place my baby I thought was to be was inside he needed to be outside right now why did the the cord prolapse I truly believe universe works, works in mysterious ways why did I turn over and um innately I I don't know why I did that I just did it was I, I suppose it was comfortable we could say that but there's a million things that went catastrophically very wrong in our birth and a million things and hence what we choose to focus on that went crazy right that it's almost freaky right <laughs> anywho so um rolled over that's all happened etc um obviously my obstetrician was like i don't know if this ba-, like so the cord wasn't pulsating at this point or very weak pulsating there's a few things that we continue on with but one thing in our debriefs because obviously this is a Fast forward, this experience was one that we all learned from, including my obstetrician and the people in that room. We had to do a fair bit of debriefing post this because some things went went pear-shaped. And one thing that my obstetrician um, often talks about or says is one thing I regret saying to you is because I said what and called out his name. And I didn't know that all that had happened. I actually, it's it's crazy, but I was so much in my zone. I didn't know that there was a prolapse cord. I didn't know. I was just focusing on my contractions and, you know, things happening. And I thought I was having a C-section, not going to be delivering naturally on the table, having a C-section. Anywho, um, so you can imagine. Cut a long story again, f- forward, really forward, because a lot had happened there. I essentially had a C-section that wasn't, properly anaesthetized that wasn't um what what's the uh essentially my midwife was able to, to squeeze a little bit of betadine like from up here I remember her doing that there's a lot that's vivid and there's a lot that's not um and my obstetrician took a lot of professional risk if you know what I mean as well because what at this point time was of the essence yeah time was like Right. So I remember very vividly, and this is a bit of a um, trigger warning for anyone listening as well, that that I remember a wardsman holding a blanket because there was no drapes. My obstetrician um, did this with, he managed to get a blue glove on. There was no sterile gloves. There was, we hadn't opened up uh, equipment. Yeah. So you could imagine, and again, this was all happening concurrently. There was things that went really wrong. Where was Dane for all of this? Dane was there the whole time. Oh, dear God. Yeah. So, Dane, so normally we had a, an emergency C-section with our first child, and normally an emergency C-section can be really quite controlled, and you'll have someone that their job in theatre is to just look after the support person. As you can imagine, through this, and again, when we, when we talked about our debrief, they're like, someone should have got Dane out. But it was so chaotic. So chaotic to the point where a wardsman is holding a blanket up so that I can't see. I remember, um, I remember just like the the fluid and what was coming out, and then it, you know, then the anaesthetist drugged me like straight away, and then I'm like, my eyes are rolling in the back of my head. The things that were happening for me versus my husband, my husband's his memory of it is crazy crazy and and that's why I'm really big in this space of sharing um, the importance and of of birthing partners and that they endure their own story as well and how important it is to not just focus on the the birthing mother but the support person too because that might be a mom or a husband or a sister or whatever, but their their experience is so valid. So we've gone through a whole birthing trauma, um, you know, postpartum experience, and we've done that with Dane being of utmost importance on the same level, like playing field as me as my birthing partner. Anywho, so so that that was that, and crazily, crazily, our child shouldn't be alive, but he's here miraculously. Um, he was a flat baby so as in they weren't too sure how that was going to go as far as were we going to get this baby out was the baby even alive um we had an incredible series of events occur and what I mean by that even the right people that had to be there in that time if I didn't have that obstetrician if the anaesthetist was someone different if my midwife 
wasn't there at the time. Yes, we could also look at the times of, okay, hang on a second, maybe a day ago we could have vaginally um, uh, reviewed her as well. But again, there's all these things that we could say, how about what if, how about, um, but we choose to focus on the things that went right. And at the end of the day, yes, we went through hell, a whole heap of hell to get around after that, but it made this experience after that all the more sweeter. And what I mean by that is we we could have left that hospital without a baby. I could have endured that and still came home without a baby. Yes, we got a baby through it. Crazily, if you, you know, if anyone that knows my youngest, it's it's wild. It's wild about the type of child he is and to think that that was his start. Um, and, and again, there was a period of time where there was potentially no oxygen to him. We are just like, how? How? My obstetrician, who does that? Who just goes for it in today's age? Mm, that's incredible. Incredible. Shivers um, up my back, you telling me that. That's just an incredible, uh, very traumatic, but incredible. 100%, 100%. Traumatic as all hell. Yeah. However, just look at that series of events. And, and I'm just literally touching the surface because this could be a whole um, thing in itself. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and then we then we started our prem journey with a miracle baby that shouldn't have been there for sure. How and then you guys in the hospital? So he literally, so he was 33 weeks and we left when he was 36 or 37. <sighs> yes, just on the calf. Amazing. Amazing. Like I, I always think, you know, I can't help but focus on the things that were just weirdly, weirdly right, like magic. And, you know, there was, you know, that time after pregnancy and I remember going, you know what, this isn't the fairy tale that I'd envisioned. You know, this isn't these four walls of this hospital with my baby in this, you know, incubator. And blah, blah, blah. That's not, that's not ideal. But there's magic to be found in our own like stories, isn't there? And I remember just being like, oh, this is magical. Mm. This, is, this is pretty good. I I was on a, after that, because I had a not sterile um, C-section, I then was on for months. Uh, and my likelihood of me having an infection and having to go back in again and have a washout was huge. Again, that didn't happen to me. My obstetrician was like, I don't know how. He put me on. Um, antibiotics for months, 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 months. Mm-hmm. IV antibiotics. Um, my incision was, it's not ideal because not only did he have to go across, but he had to go up. So again, like there's things that weren't great. Yeah. Um, and how do you go though as a medical professional and, you know, you have memories and you know what was happening and you know so much of that that story whilst it worked out for the best and you got to bring your beautiful baby home. How do you go as a medical professional and then a protective mom being like, hold on, you did all this wrong? Yeah. How, how did that be? Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Um, again, I started to really look at it every, everything with a long lens rather than one of looking at everything in its in, like in its entirety rather than individually because if all of those events didn't happen in the way that it happened um, perhaps I would be telling a very different story today and so and and this relationship that we built as you can imagine the relationship that I built with my obstetrician and my treating team and 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 with hyperemesis gravidarum just initially it became a very close um, professional relationship from the start so they knew me um, and all of those things right from the very beginning um, quite intensively. And then I suppose there wasn't a, there was no doubt um, we had to, there was no notes written in our um, theatre room because there was too many people were just going crazy. So we had to write notes or they had to write notes um, after the fact and everyone had to come in and tell their version of what they saw or what they didn't see, et cetera. Um, and so we had to debrief a lot and there was no shadow of a doubt that Dane and I, uh, my, my obstetrician included, we had to go through quite a process of um, steps moving forward from a mental health point of view as well, because we were actually quite good um, for for weeks, if not months after. And, and now I'm entering this phase where there's a lot of post-traumatic growth, but then it sort of just hits you that like, holy shit, do you know what I mean? And that's grief and that's that's mental health and that's birth trauma. You might be great at the time. I remember at the time I was like, yep, like that was shit, but we're going to get through this. 
And then fast forward to a few months in when things settle, you find your new normal, that's actually really hard to sort of, you know, configure in your head. And then particularly my husband, there was this, this, you know, pace where we were just like, yeah, we're good, we're good, we're good. But that's where it's just so important to keep on checking in and keep on, keep on actually being really honest with yourself of, is, is that good? Are those dreams good? No, they're not. They're not good. At what point does that start to affect your life, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, again, we weren't shy. And I suppose being a medical professional um, and, and especially in the emergency nursing space, I know how important debriefing is and checking in on yourself um, for weeks, months, years after. Um, and, and sometimes uh, it can be a good thing to know more. Uh, I remember even at the time, I feel as though perhaps if I wasn't a registered nurse, he might have told me a bit more at the time, knowing that I might not have understood. But he knew at that at that moment that he couldn't, the time was so critical that he just... He just went for it and didn't tell me as as we went. Grey's Anatomy stuff, like just went for it. It's nuts. Yeah, it's yeah, amazing. It's crazy. Yeah, crazy. so crazy. Oh my goodness. And that what you were just touching on mental health and emotional well being, something that obviously I am a huge advocate for as well is you know constantly checking in on whatever traumas you've been through in your life. What is some resources I suppose yourself and Dane have been leaning into that you would encourage mums or or their husbands or birthing partners going through something similar right now? What would you encourage people to look into doing? Yeah, absolutely. I think like anything, preparation is key first. I think we always think that we're going to have this and and it's not to fuel people with, you know, be worried, you know, giving birth is a normal human experience. We're not disabled that it is normal, but we also know that it can go very wrong. So I think if we arm ourselves initially with the preparation of like, you know, learning about birth, learning about the, the, the steps of birth and how it progresses, learning about the things that, you know, should it go a to b or a to z how it normally would awesome, but also learning how things can get fair, um, you know, hairy and, bloody gross as well I think preparation from the onset initially is is really important then um, should something happen in the you know traumatic birthing space understanding that one we are so not alone it's coming it's you know people are starting to relive or open you know closed lids that they're embarrassed about or that they're um they're like that happened 20 years ago I still shouldn't be harboring that issue but Birth trauma is also similar to HG coming out and it's on its own, which is incredible because birth trauma looks so different for so many different people. It might be um, a physical trauma that has happened, but it might be a mental trauma. It might be the way someone was treated by someone, you know, or um, in your birthing space, whatever it is, birth trauma looks different. So I just always encourage anyone that if you are affected by your birth, then it is birth trauma, <laughs> and you you can make that um, that I suppose your own version of what that looks like, and be able to get help with that. So this makes this would probably not surprise you, but both Dana and I are advocates and for Birth Trauma Association here in Australia. So and particularly Dane because birthing partners, their experience is so valid and they're often forgotten not that they're forgotten on purpose but the focus is on the mum and the focus is on the child and then you know and then I think we check in 12 weeks later with the mum and then if she's all good sweet I can tell you right now 12 weeks later I was fine 12 weeks later I was great I was immersed in my prem child I thought life was awesome I didn't need that time then. It was the time that followed. Like I, you know, even maybe six months to 12 months that where things start to unravel. Yeah. Things start to affect. So, you know, and then again, so going back to resources, um, there are incredible organisations that are ready to rock and roll to help with anyone. Um, but it, like anything, it takes it takes ourselves to take full responsibility and self-accountability for our own lives to go, you know what? I need a little bit of help here. I need someone to either walk beside me, behind me, in front of me, whatever, to just pave this path a wee bit. So it takes us to go, you know what, I I, I, I find some difficulties in this situation. I'm going to reach out to some people to help here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if from a birthing trauma sort of space, the um, Australasian Birth Trauma Association is incredible um, and we often are sharing information about that. Uh, and then moving forward, again, don't, the importance and I suppose the the ability for our health professionals to help us both Dane and I see um, psychologists therapists etc about 
all sorts of things, not just birth trauma, to an unbiased set of ears to swim through the roughs, graciously, ugly crying, whatever. Um, we both have gained an immense amount of support together and individually with the help of professionals where this is their bread and butter. Mm. Talking you through, listening, being a set of ears, uh, having periods of time where you don't need it, having periods of time where you do need it. Mine has been invaluable and I am, I scream it from the rooftops that, you know, and it can be in varying forms. It might be someone that mentors you. It might be someone, so for example, in the birth trauma space, there's actual mentors that are, that have gone through birth trauma themselves. And they're essentially, I like to call them people that um, are walking out of their own fire of birth trauma and they're carrying buckets of water to help other people do you know what I mean? But that are currently in it, and so it's mentors in the space, and that can be pretty much applied elsewhere. And and likewise, there's professionals out there ready to talk to you, ready to rock and roll. We've just got to be open to receiving them, and sometimes or accepting them, and then in other times, asking for them. Yeah. I definitely resonated where you spoke about you were fine at 12 weeks postpartum. It was later, and I think it's something that I often speak about on my Instagram as well. I didn't need anyone to come around with some food in that postpartum state or hold the baby so I can sleep. I'm co- Newborn stage is great. I love it. You just sleep. Mm. You can't actually do anything. Your body's still sort of messed up, so you can't do yeah, too yeah. much. I need someone six months postpartum. I need a break from this child. Like it's yeah. when they start crawling and moving and you're like, where's all the friends at? Come back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Now just moving on to my final question for you. It's a pretty big question. Um, we're on this earth for such a small period of time. And I know that that is definitely hitting home for you at the moment. The days are so long, but the years are so incredibly short. What do you want your legacy to look like, Nadine? Honestly, this is a hard one, isn't it? I recently shared on my social media about the five regrets. This sounds really morbid, but it's, it's, it's something that we can all take from. But it's the five regrets of the dying because I'm, I'm immersed in people dying at the moment, unfortunately, unfortunately. Um, and it, it's actually a thesis from a palliative care nurse. And she talks, she, she yeah, as part of her um, studies, interviewed people dying and asked them what their regrets were. Crazily, it was don't work too hard. I wish I didn't work so hard. I'm just going to touch on a few. I wish I didn't work so hard or like was smarter about how much I worked. Yeah. I, wish I accepted myself more as in took the ability to go, this is who I am and own that, right? That was that in essence. And I wish I spent more time with my family. It goes on with a few more, but that was three. And that is 110% and people would probably um, choose to answer this. But my legacy of what I want to leave is one sharing the message of time and how you know at the end of the day that's all we have and I've, I've shared a lot of that recently yes where where time is this currency that we're all trading every day and we're all and it's rushing roulette like literally tomorrow and this has happened to us in the last 18 24 months your lives can change hugely whether it is you you and that changes or change is at your door like you whether you like it or not, it's happened. Mm. So I talk about, so if I could share and legacies is twofold or threefold really with time, it's time with my family and time where it's like, it's present time. It's not just being there, but it's being there. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But sharing that about how time is a currency that we're all playing with. It's the most expensive one because we think we have more of it, but before we know it and, and potentially before we even know it, the next day it's gone. So it's, it's understanding that, you know, we live this life of busy. And at the moment, I am learning every day that busy is actually a term that I'm trying to eradicate from my vocabulary. If someone says, oh, how busy are you this week? Or how, you know, blah, blah, blah. I actually never want to say that I'm busy because it's all a choice that we make, right? We only, we only choose to be busy because we fill it with all of these things. Mm. I want to, my legacy is removing all of the busy. And as I think it's Socrates, he talks about how busy, it's like eradicate or the barrenness of a life that is busy. Does that make sense? Yes. And when we start taking away all the things that don't matter and live a life that actually matters. And to me, it's about the joy in the ordinary. So I, like my goal is living this ordinary life which to me is extraordinary does that make sense so where my children go wow like this simple life is a beautiful one the the ordinary life 
is extraordinary. It's just how we choose to shape that and define what that is. And that will look different to all of us. And if we start looking at time as borrowed currency, time as it's only ever lent to us, it's easy. You just said it before. It's so easy for us to go, my God, before you know it, our kids are five. Before you know it, we're sorting out their 18th birthday. Again, it comes down to time. Time is all we have. Time with them is all we have. We can do all of the things. But it comes down to choice. What what do we want the most? And if we if we start to pivot and change careers, assets, financial goals, or whatever, and we start to eradicate the things that aren't important, and then just put in the things that are of clear necessities, then we truly cannot go wrong. But yeah, that's my legacy. My legacy is explaining that or showing my children time and that of my family, and and sharing that message with others to find joy in the ordinary. That is absolutely so powerful and there's been so much in this conversation that I know is going to hit home for so many other mums. So thank you so much for being your raw, authentic, beautifully honest self as always. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it so much and thanks again for reserving space for me and it's a pleasure to feature on your podcast as well. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Inside Out. I really want to grow in this space and make sure these stories and experiences are heard. If this episode resonated with you, I would love to hear from you. Please leave me a review and hit subscribe to ensure you don't miss our next conversation. Please also join me on Instagram and let me know what you thought about this episode at Inside Out with Chris. I can't wait to share more with you really soon.